I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Landing your first job after college is not always easy. You realize that your campus was an incubator and most of the things you learned in school are theories. And what you know about the industry are actually based on second-hand experience passed on to you by your professors. But the biggest takeaway of every fresh grad is this. It is so damn hard to find a job. So, at that time, when I was job hunting, of course, that is correct. I have submitted several applications. It just so happens that this is one of the early ones to get back to me with our feedback and we, we call you back for an interview. So, of course, um, I would take advantage. <laughs> this is Danny. It's not his real name and we're doing this to protect him. Danny had just graduated from a prestigious school in the Philippines. He majored in journalism. He was unemployed for a couple of months and so when he heard back from this one public relations firm, it was a score. The pay was good. He passed the interview Everything was going well, save for one thing. He didn't know exactly what he was going to do or whom he was going to work for. And so I said, okay, so yeah, it's part of the interview process. I'll be okay, I understand. The, the engagement or the work was being presented to me that it was on a monthly basis. And I said, ah, okay, what kind of an engagement? Parang, is it corporate PR or what? Apparently, it's for a politician. It was 2015, and aspiring politicians were just about to file their Certificate of Candidacy for the 2016 national and local elections. But that early, they were already planning the campaign, and they had a sense of what they wanted to do. Social media was the name of the game. It was relatively new, but it had the potential to reach millions. I only realized it during the latter part of the work, of the engagement, that The firm keep or maintain several profiles on Facebook and they are implementing or taking advantage of ways to circumvent Facebook's fair use policy. But at that time, since I was fresh graduate, I was pretty young, I didn't really have the power or energy to say or speak against or speak ill. I just realized it one day that there's something going on. It doesn't feel right. And this is where our story begins. Hello, I'm Jonathan Ong, disinformation researcher and professor at UMass Amherst and Harvard University. And I'm Kat Ventura, a journalist and executive producer at Puma Podcast. And in this podcast, we take you deep into the shadowy world of political campaigns, paid trolls, and disinformation networks focused in the Philippines. This is Catch Me If You Can, powered by Puma Podcast. In this series, Kat and I invite you to tag along with us when we interview former and even current political operators and paid trolls enlisted for campaigns. 
we will hear how exactly they landed their jobs, what skills and personal qualities they possess that get them through this kind of work. We'll also raise questions about ethics and get our guests to reflect on their experience. Yes, and this is episode one, Jonathan. Aren't you excited? I'm super excited. Uh, Thanks for being part of this journey with me, Kat. Right, and the reason why we're doing this, because there is a lot of misconceptions about who and what roles are. I think up to this point, until I started this conversation with Jonathan, I always imagined them to be like in call centers. But apparently, that's not always the case. In some cases, in most cases, they operate within PR firms, advertising firms, digital agencies. And there's a certain level of prestige even to these kinds of jobs. Obviously, some of these kinds of work would be open secrets. Pero of course, kailangan secret pa din, di ba? Dahil nakakahiya din kung malaman kung sino talaga yung mga politicians working with specific PR firms that we associate with certain corporate brands. What's going to happen is we're going to take you to the different tiers and we're also going to be interviewing people who have experience working in these troll farms. And in this first episode, we actually got a troll. Talk about their experience. Again, we mentioned Danny at the start, but that's not his real name. This is actually a former troll, someone who had worked in the 2016 elections. And if you recall, that was a momentous election and a momentous year as well for social media and democracy. Um, We talk about how fake news, troll farms, troll armies became part of our lexicon, became part of our vocabulary only in 2016. And attribution as social media really influenced the vote. So we'll go a little bit behind that, but more crucially, hear from an operator himself. I think it was the PR firm themselves. At first, because the, the client is relatively traditional. Eh? So, they have already parang mastered uh, maintaining relations, cordial relations with the press. When I say the press, meaning TV, broadsheet, you know, and the radio. Um, you know, the tri-media. For them, social media was an add-on. However, there was a shift in the attitude run on to the election day. If memory serves me right, that this was at a time that you know Facebook was there's has been a proliferation on the use of Facebook because of the free Facebook. Then but the data less Facebook that you can access Facebook without being charged to your phone. And so they saw value in the client and the candidate saw value in it. The operators saw the parang, oh, this can be something that can be used to convince or to help those who have not yet really decided their minds on who to vote for that this can help augment our efforts. Parang may nagkaroon ganong shift ng behavior. But I would say that if you were going to ask the candidate or the client himself, you would still very much prefer na magbuhos ng resources into the tri-media. Pero kasi they already accepted the change in behavior that social media is here to stay. And if you really wanted to win, you might want to invest also on social media. And so they did. Nagbuhos naman sila ng pera And I think that's one of our important contributions for this podcast. And Kat, you're a journalist. How do you deal with the fact that you have this kind of informant but wants to remain anonymous? Parang, how do you 
agree and negotiate those terms. Right. Definitely, I think a lot of it comes with a sort of contract. That you come into this interview, I get to record it. But then I will also respect the parts that should be off the record. But once I start hitting record, yeah, that's my prerogative. And we're going to use that material. Mm -hmm. But if they want to hide their identity, we would, of course, want to respect that. And we would also want to respect the things that they would want to share. So I think as a journalist, there's always that human factor. And we're also building these relationships as well as getting information from people. So you'd want to maintain that. But at the same time, there's just that kind of respect that if they want me to remove some parts, I'll have to think about it first. Because once I hit record, the understanding is everything that's going to be in that tape is going to be in the podcast. Unless there's something I we should not include. But that's, of course, the trust that I give to them. And that's trust they also give to me. But I think before we go to the conversation... Let's give a bit of background about roles. Like, when did this actually start? Because I'm pretty sure it did not start with President Rodrigo Duterte. The history of Black campaigning is so much longer than 2016, and we need to kind of understand social media mobilization and troll armies as part of a longer history and it's one among like a long recipe of things that one can do to attack your opponent right? and so social media are important because these are channels that don't have very strong gatekeepers like editors right? to filter content so here you're able to broadcast your content, you're able to seed certain narratives that can spread very quickly, that can go viral very quickly. I guess what makes it different, and correct me if I'm wrong, by 2016, it's become so institutionalized. Like, there is a system now. There is a network. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think in 2016, what was definitely still evident, and of course, I've been doing this research from 2016, 2019, and of course, with this election cycle, the amount of money poured into social media relative to other media, relative to TV, relative to radio and print, also relative to grassroots campaigning. So... Dati, parang if you see this as a whole pie, diba, na you will need the air wars and also the ground wars. So air wars will refer to how you broadcast your message across multiple channels. Social media is just one component of the air wars. Usually, most of the money will go to TV. Pero the Duterte campaign was unique in that they really leveraged social media and nag-invest sila doon. And now, you're correct to say na most of the money is moving from print, TV, also on-ground machinery na pupunta na sa social media. And I think that's got a lot to do with the context na we have obviously seen the impacts of social media campaigns, how narratives spread so easily online, but also the context of COVID and how campaigns had to mobilize quite early on, even before the start of the official campaign season. Diba? Parang nagsisimula na silang mag-build ng networks, ng channels, ng influencers on social media. I understand at the time, we have a significant campaign TV. Running an election, a campaign is not cheap. It definitely is not. It can go up to the nine-digit mark. 
if I may say so myself, way above and beyond the common expending. <laughs> Nasa close to a billion. So I'm interested though, actually, Johnson, if you could just indulge us. Like, what got you into this study? Why did you think of studying trolls? It's interesting you ask that. The original study was actually supposed to be about content moderators. Oh. Yeah. So if you recall, in the Philippines is the global capital for content moderation. What does that mean? Content moderation refers to the type of worker who are the digital janitors who scrub filth, who scrub hate speech, racist speech, even gory imagery, even porn and dick pics online. Right? These are the people who scrub them off of our Facebook, who try to protect ordinary users from seeing this kind of harassment and, yeah, and, and gory images online. And so we were trying to um, get in touch with content moderators. It's hard to get in touch with content moderators. They have a lot of like legal contracts that prohibit them from talking with researchers. And so parang we had to pivot our own work to understand also a different class of workers, also very popular in the Philippines, and working in a way very proximal to these content moderators about we found that a really interesting paradox to think about how the Philippines, on one hand, is a center for content moderation, but it's also a center for troll armies. Okay, so 2016, you started this study. You published it in 2018. Give us a background. Paint us a picture of the sort of hierarchy, the network of this information. Like, who's on top and who's at the bottom? Obviously, um, political clients have to interface with top-level strategists, right? So these are people who are seasoned veterans in political campaigns um, for the most part. And some of them come from backgrounds in advertising, public relations, and also media and journalism. Ito yung usual background of political marketers. This is the top tier. Ito yung top tier. Okay. The clients will often interface with them. And then the advertising and PR strategist, it's up to them to craft and mobilize their army, their team, diba? So, sino yung magpapakalat nung messages nila, nung brand ng politician, right? And so, they will enlist digital influencers. So, influencers are very popular micro-celebrities on social media platforms. They have how many? 200,000 followers would count as a mega-influencer. Yung mga micro-influencer would be 10,000 followers. Diba? And these influencers are could be lifestyle influencers, could be mom bloggers, um, could be uh, vloggers on YouTube. Kasama pa rin sila sa category of influencer. Pati na din yung mga popular meme accounts. Yung mga parang um, parody accounts. Imagine like a Senora Santibanez account. She's still on Facebook, this account. I would classify that as a parody account influencer. Mm. Dahil million ata yung followers ni Senora on Facebook. Yeah. Mm-mm. And that so that's a second tier. So that's a second tier. Yes. And then after that, what do we have? And the third tier, ito yung community-level fake account operators. So, itong fake account operators, ito yung more copy-paste yung orientation nila. Sila yung taga amplify and share ng information. They're also responsible for infiltrating 
closed communities. And that's why we use the term community level fake account operator. So they will infiltrate, you know, local Marikina news group, diba? or parang mommies of Iloilo Facebook group. And increasingly now, diba, parang messaging apps will have different kinds of titas of Green Hills, for example. So some of them will be infiltrating these communities. And yung job naman nila is mag-share nung mga memes na ginawa ng mga influencers. And sila yung unang taga-like, sila unang taga-comment, sila taga-negative comment din sa pages ng Rappler or ABS-CBN. So yun yung gawain ng community-level fake account operator. And so ito yung mga paid workers in a disinformation network. I would say na parang when we use the word troll, we often kind of imagine like the fake account operator. We imagine this person possibly, you know, from a lower class background, not very well educated, perhaps might be a Duterte supporter, might be a Marco supporter. Diba? Parang yun yung common imaginaries natin of a troll. But the research that we did interviewing how the work infrastructure actually looks like, the head troll isn't, you know, like a low-income person. This person operates from a very respectable corporate boardroom. They handle corporate accounts usually and also mix it up with political clients. So parang they can switch between a corporate account and a political client based on the season. And they use industry jargon and metrics. So they have a lot of like tools for advertising and PR to monitor reach and engagement. They're obviously well-versed in the logics and strategies of branding. When we think of branding, we think of like values that we associate to certain corporate brands. You think of like Disney, for example, or Coca-Cola, the kinds of emotions those brands evoke in you. And they transpose that kind of thinking to people, to politicians. They package politicians in a certain way. When it comes to like troll work, what Danny does is he did tell us that he's not technically creating these memes, but he is overseeing the creation of these memes. And he is also just siguro counter-checking kind of messaging that they'd want to have. But he did have this very interesting analogy to just how the whole thing is being operated. Sinabi niya na para daw silang kabit. <laughs> kabit sa kasal. They're a mistress. There is the legal wife, and we are the mistress. And so the mistress would do the dirty work, diba? Na parang on the other end, you know, we're being the B, the B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> and because there was the legal, the legal wife, eh, who would be, you know, doing all the, doing the housework, doing the pampabango and all the, make the client, make the candidate, you know, vote worthy for the position again. So, syempre, yung mga feel-good stories, mga motherhood statements, na parang livelihood project assistance, blah, 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 and all. All na parang improving the infrastructure, etc. <laughs> Ayun. If you twist the truth, it's basically a lie. Correct? I mean, it's plain and simple. Sharing lies. One character that really struck to me was this opponent was being portrayed as someone who plundered the resources of the city. When, in fact, 
it was not as serious or as exaggerated as it really is. They're trying to portray the opponent as a criminal, as a plunderer, someone who has violated human rights, ganon. Not entirely false, but definitely out of truth. Yung parang you are treading the gray line of, you know, exaggerating versus outright lying. And tilting na kasi siya towards lying eh. Mudslinging na. Yeah, actually, Kat, I think this is pretty common na parang there's like an above-ground and this underground campaign. One might call it a bifurcated strategy. And nakikita din natin yun, di ba? Sa election, parang on one hand, there's a candidate, very positive lang yung gusto niyang sabihin, coming from his own mouth. He doesn't want to attack anyone or criticize anyone or answer anything negative, di ba? Challenging, kahit hindi naman very challenging yung questions. But, at the same time, other people are doing the attacks for him. This kind of bifurcated strategy. So, ganun din pala yung nangyari in this particular case. Correct. Um, so, it was basically that, that, so, of course, they had like a managed, they had like an ops meeting. So, all the heads were there, no? All the bosses were there. And ang sinabi ng client, to go for a two-prong approach, you know, amplify my output, amplify what I have done for the past three years for this city at the same time attack the opponent imagine running two ano, at the same time it would really mean that you have a significant campaign kidney it's very expensive for you to tell us what to do you want it that fast and you know it was not even a question of how much eh. it was a question of so I would see results by the next meeting yung ganon it's not even a question of do we have budget for this because there is budget for that there is money involved with that the subcontractors kasi, we, we would liaise with the subcontractors on the content that they would, we would work hand-in-hand hand with them. Since kami yung nasa loob ng premises the entire time. And so, parang shared resource kasi kami, kaming mga writers and PR associates na we know kasi yung other ops team and wala silang allotted, you know, staff writers, mga associates. So, they would share us sa resource Kunyari, in the morning, andun ako sa kabila. In the afternoon, after lunch, I would go back to my cubicle dun sa ground zero and do the work. Kunyari, meeting, may mga closed-door meetings outside office. We would participate. We would listen in with the department heads ng city, ganyan. And then, what were the achievements of ganito, ganon. Well, mga... You know, it doesn't sound parang talagang troll farm. Because for me, yeah, I was not assigned to that there was an, another person kasi dedicated just for the creation of the memes, yung mga content na parang we would lift off from newspapers and then we would twist it and, you know, we would spin it in such a way that it would reflect negatively on the opponent. Basically, it's, ano eh, it's a concerted effort. One character that really struck to me was this opponent was being portrayed as someone who plundered the resources of the city. When, in fact, it was not as serious or as exaggerated as it really is. Ang nangyari would be, we would lift off even like, you know, old articles, old press releases from the internet or from the newspapers or tabloids. Na whatever you know about, we would reuse that content and then make a meme out of it. That he would, you know, we would really twist it in such a way na exaggerated na. Exaggerated enough for people who see it on Facebook to like and share it. Na even if um, it was so wild and outrageous, 
it would fall into you know people on Facebook some people on Facebook and it, it was specifically targeted if I say so myself targeted because the peer for would pay for ads would target ads from people who live in that city na sila ang makakakita ng content and Facebook ads are cheap right it's pretty expensive if you you know compute it on a monthly or you know weekly basis mahal magpa Facebook ads and so diba yun to that point na talaga they would really even pay for Facebook ads There was an opportunity down the road, you know, it was Job Street. Uh, there was, okay, parang sige, I'll, I'll try to submit my resume. And then, it was this PR firm who accepted my application, and then we had a series of interviews and exams. I was asked to come back twice. And then on the second part of the assessment, they asked me to visit a location which is not their main office. And so I said, okay, sige, it's part of the interview process. I'll be okay, I understand. The engagement or the work was being presented to me that it was on a monthly basis. And I said, what kind of an engagement? Parang is it corporate PR or what? Apparently, it's for a politician. The compensation was quite competitive for a fresh graduate, if I may say so myself. And so I accepted the engagement without knowing that there is this information going to be involved. But at that time, since I was fresh graduate, yeah, I was you know, pretty young. I didn't really have the power or energy to say or speak against or speak ill. I just realized it one day that there's something going on. It doesn't feel right. And it, so it's not usually the case, Jonathan. It's not how we usually imagine these trolls. These are people who genuinely just wanted to go to advertising, just wanted to give PR a shot. And yet, they got into this kind of work without actually knowing it, without realizing it. Like, how common is this? And not just in PR, because you did interview someone who did not apply for an advertising job, but did get into troll work. This time in the Senate. He tells more about that. Yeah, a lot of these trolls were in a way kind of forced to do this kind of work once they became part of legitimate and respectable, so-called respectable ad agencies. So, and that was on the case with Danny. In our study, we had also interviewed somebody who was a legislative staffer in the Senate for a politician. But at the same time, it was election season and everyone was expected to open fake accounts in the office. And parang may level of intimidation pa doon from the chief of staff na parang wala naman kayong pakisama kung hindi kayo mag-open ng fake account on Facebook. So that kind of very aggressive, how can you say no, right? Like to your boss, to, your, to that chief of staff. Yeah, and let's listen to her interview here. We have our soundbite. When I joined sa team po kasi, medyo mid-year siya. So, I joined his, I was recruited 2017, but I, jo- I officially joined his team 2018, uh, January 2018. So, parang leading pa lang. Although, hindi naman po tumakbo si ng 2019, the Senate staff had to help his sister-in-law Weird siya kasi parang para sa akin, hindi naman part ng job natin na tumulong. <laughs> Pero ano, uh, I spent four months in Olongapo and I was enrolled in MA. 
but I'm not allowed to go home. Kasi pagka umuwi ka, if you spend 24 hours in Manila, mag-resign ka na daw, ganyan. Yeah. <laughs> I will not lie, my motivation is really money. I sometimes feel na there are a lot of people who doesn't deserve that money. Kasi ako, I, I, I would say I work hard. You know, it was not easy emotionally and physically kasi lagi ako may sakit nun. Physically and emotionally, hindi po siya joke. But there are a lot of people who doesn't even try to do good. And they're in public office. Kasi ang requirement lang naman po for public office such as the Senate, trust and confidence eh. Okay, I guess my question for you now, Jonathan, is um, it's an open secret, but why do you think it's so clandestine? Like, why do you think they wanted to hide it? Why do you think they can't even be honest about hiring these people? Is there a sort of, like, stigma to it? In bayon? I think uh, the stigma still remains, diba? And obviously, like, journalistic investigations have really tried to unmask the troll. And some of these investigations really go after the low-level operator. So again, parang going after like more vulnerable people rather than people at the top. And I think people would obviously refuse that kind of stigma. And at the same time, for many of these PR firms, the term troll is also quite recent for them. But the actual work of political marketing, the actual work of consulting for clients, they've been doing this for many election cycles without that kind of stigma, but still with a level of secrecy, still with a level of we want to build relationships with our clients that will not compromise their strategy. There's still that level of secrecy in terms of how political clients would want to work with different kinds of groups as well. Yeah, some politicians are also very wisely make use of multiple operators. So they're not fully dependent on just one operator. And I think there's a level of like trust and the right kind of distance that clients should cultivate with their consultants. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and, and just depend on one person for your entire strategy. Eddie, your entire campaign could also be torched. And it's interesting because even inside inside the institution, inside the network, they don't want to fully acknowledge what they're actually doing. Like, is that what you're trying to tell us? So, in our work, nobody called themselves a troll, right? It's always somebody else that they attribute that label to. So, there's always like a passing the buck kind of dynamic that happens, diba? So, even somebody who would have said na they crafted attack memes or attack ads and used, you know, like very vulgar language in some of their posts, they will still say that somebody is worse and that's the real troll. So, they will say, actually, yung real supporters ni Duterte, sila talaga yung trolls. Ako, trabaho lang to. That was the experience that Danny had Just why when he did leave the troll office and he actually got a glimpse or got a taste of reality again, seeing his professor in one of the interviews, he couldn't show his face. Like it was a sort of face-saving moment and that must have triggered it. Let's listen to what Danny had to say about that. I draw the line at when when we were being, well, it's part of the job, we're being asked sometimes to 
blend in with the reporters, with the press, you know, with the press people. And then, and so, kilala ko naman yung mga, yung usual reporters who would cover the beat. There was a time na parang, nagkakaroon ng change of hands ng mga. There's developmental journalism being involved. It doesn't sit well with me. Hindi naman ako plastic na probably they have their reasons why. I just didn't want to be a part of it. You know, na reporter ka, periodista ka, and then you do op- ops work at the same time. When you see it right before your own eyes, na it's really happy. All the journalism ethics I learned in school was out the door. And you know, parang, ang sabi ko sa sarili ko, I, I don't want to be a part of it. Number two, parang the chilling effect would be, would be when I saw my professor, I, not, I, saw, I saw my college instructor, who's still, you know, a report, he's still a journalist to this very day. Nagkaroon siya ng one-on-one interview with my, with our client. And then nagulat siya na, oh, nandito ka. Sabi niya, hindi ko, kay ano ka na para nag-work? Sabi ko, oh, po sir, ganyan. Oh, kamusta ka naman? Parang chilling effect yun. Kasi nakita mo yung taong nagturo sa'yo at graduate ka ng four years of college. And then makikita niya na nandito ka. You're doing the exact same thing that your teachers told you not to do. My college professor, my college professor, I saw him dead in the eye and looking at me na parang he must be thinking, oh, he must be so disappointed with one of his students. And fresh grand ako noon. So, impossible na hindi na kami matandan kasi kakagraduate ko lang eh. So, medyo fresh pa kaming students sa memory niya. Tapos, parang sabi ko sa sarili ko, parang, what am I doing with my life? When I was doing the work back then, you know, I, was a, I was a PRSOC back then. Parang for me, it was, I, in my mind, okay, parang, okay, you have to put your feelings out of it. It's just a job. It's just a normal job that, you know, the client is, as long as na nagbabayad yung client, it's fine. Hindi ka naman inugutong or pinapatay or hindi ka pa naman papatayin. Or parang, parang for me nga, we're, we're protected naman, we feel safe naman. Pero, and then again, as the elections drew closer and closer, we would notice more and more security with us. Parang slowly nag-i-increase yung security. And they are armed. And so that's, that was, I think, one of the turning points na parang it's getting dangerous na it's getting too dangerous or I'm not comfortable with this level of danger anymore na I don't know if someone is following me when we get home. Hindi ko rin alam yun na possible kasi eh. You know, in, in politics, everything is possible. Okay, so what is troll work? Why did Danny react that way? Is it as bad as he paints it to be? Is it as unethical as we think it is? Although we do know it does sort of tread in that sort of unethical path, at the same time, Jonathan, you did mention that black propaganda, black campaigning has been here for so long. It's not exactly new. Yeah, so I think our intention for this episode, right, is like to really hear from somebody, a former troll, a reformed troll, um, however you might want to call Danny, right? This is a person who really struggled having to land a job and obviously fresh out of college, very eager to get into the industry of advertising, obviously very talented. As you hear, like he's super witty, but they're also kind of desperate, right? Like you can't be super choosy um, when you're at that level. And what we're trying to shade in here is that troll work is not a matter of good and evil. It's not a matter of us and them. There's so many gray areas that we need to kind of think about. And I think what we're trying to show here is how pervasive and normalized and unexpected where the entry points are, where the 
boundaries are. And I think that's why we need to have like a more open conversation and also not always jump at that, oh, we're going to stigmatize these um, particular people. And and some of the investigations often target like the low-level worker. But I think Danny's story is actually quite sympathetic. What what do you think, Kat? Well, I think to him, at one point, trabaho lang. But it got to a point na hindi na lang to trabaho. And that's what got him out of it. And that's what I appreciate about this part that Danny shared to us. I think yun yung, ano, it's easy to be to cloud your judgment when you're in that situation. Like what happened to me, na narealize ko na lang siya after, yung gravity of the situation or the consequences when I left. That was when it dawned that I might have done something wrong. I'm not really proud of it, to be honest. And you know, for fresh grads out there, it's okay to take your time to find the right work. <laughs> really, um, it's not a race. Hindi ito paligsahan ng sino may magandang kotse or may naipundar ka ba sa bagong condo or what. Ang importante, you know, you're not compromising on your values. After that, I took a break again to contemplate my life. And then I got a call from one of the companies that I applied to in Makati. It was corporate work naman. I stayed there for quite a while until I left in 2019 to join the family business. I think timing lang talaga because I joined the family business during a pandemic. So, parang oh, hindi pa mag-start talaga kasi I, I joined talaga around January 2020. I was, you know, wrapping up my affairs in corporate work. Ayun. And then, pandemic happened. So, corporate com, on, and, pero on the, side, on the side, there was business development involved. For a professional services firm. So, um, definitely, ano na, definitely more legal, more clean, <laughs> uh, more professional. Since there was, you know, several regulators involved, there was the SEC involved, BSP, yung mga ano na talaga, the, yeah, from, the, from the illegitimate to the BIR. So, para from the illegitimate to the very legitimate, dun, ka, dun ako napunta. Dun, I, I don't really regret anything. But, you know, it would really re-examine your values. I think um, what I I've been through. It was not, you know, as um, siguro now that I'm in the family business right now. Uh, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. If you tell me that if it had if I had to go back, I will. You know, just like, to experience it, it all. Because I feel like I would not be in a position where I'm right now if I didn't go through that. I, I learned a lot from it. Yeah, but you know if. If I, yun nga, if I, pero on the, on the flip side, had they told me, had they been very transparent from the day one, I would not have probably accepted the end. It just, I think kasi it, it just, you qualifier lang talaga. It just so happened that they did not present everything at once. In a way, Danny is still kind of privileged, right? Like he for was. him to quit his job after a couple of months, Right. So imagine other people who are not like Danny and have to really depend on, yeah, like peanuts kind of salary, um, but still they have to cling to this. So should we not be more sympathetic to those who are in a more economically challenging position than Danny? Right. I wonder whether that story would trigger some sympathy or yeah, other kinds of judgment from our listeners. I would really love to hear from them. Yeah, we'd love to hear from them. Okay, so I guess one significant red flag here is Danny didn't know who the client was. It wasn't clear. 
But at the same time, I think when Danny was starting to realize that this isn't just like regular copies that I'm doing. <laughs> it sounds like something else. Yeah. My first job out of college is actually as a media planner for McCann Erickson, an advertising agency. And I remember in that interview, sinabi nila sa akin kung sino magigikong client. Um, and I, and that was one of the key reasons why I signed up with them as opposed to another agency that was also trying to recruit me. And so I think it should be standard protocol for agencies to be fully transparent with applicants, especially at the last interview, diba? Na parang dun sa story ni Danny, nagulat lang ako na dun sa first day of the job, dun lang niya nalaman. So, I would, in a way, be even more okay kung sa first interview hindi niya alam. Pero at least dun sa last interview, dapat nasabi naman sa kanya. So I do think that there is a level of deception here. And Danny's story is not unique. In our research in Architects of Network Disinfo, we talked to 20 folks in that hierarchy, diba? Parang of strategists, influencers, and fake account operators. So hindi unique yung story na, oh, um, ang client ko pala or ang job ko pala is actually to do like attack memes on social media. What's interesting about this is uh, it's coming from both sides. Like you can't actually fault the candidate as well. And again, I'm not making a case for them, but just you know how it works. You know how this campaign's gonna be. If they're gonna be throwing mud at you, you might as well do the same because... That's how it was here in Danny's case. It's, and as he explains it to us now, that the other side, the opponent, also had the same team, more or less. And so it was them against... <laughs> <laughs> they were pitted against each other and they were just throwing, hurt, hurtling mm-hmm. mud like at everyone's expense on yeah. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And, and remember, this is a local campaign. It diba? is a local so campaign. This is... Yeah, so this is for a city mayor race. So, madumi talaga at that level. And kailangan sagutan, mabilisan. Would you say there's like a professional troll and an unprofessional troll to this? That's a good question. So, political fans are being activated by the paid operators. Diba? So, in the hierarchy of people who are being paid in the disinformation architecture, ang job naman talaga nila is to provide the narratives, to provide the content of what people will be talking about, what ordinary people will be talking about, and what real political fans will talk about. So, yung pagseed ng memes, parang sila yung gagawa ng memes, but obviously, they will depend on the real fans who are supporters of their clients, kahit hindi binabayaran, to play with those memes, to play with those narratives, to add to the uh, conspiracy, diba? So, there's a creativity and a community in being a troll, diba? Na parang, oh, parang you feel like you belong to this group of supporters. And parang you're also trying to impress each other in terms of how far can you take like one conspiracy theory or how how much vulgar you can craft like a meme or how funny or satirical diba? you can interpret um, some of the stories. And of course, Pinoy's are super great with satire and parody. 
and I think parang yung comedy bar kind of culture, di ba parang nakikita din natin yun online in terms of how talagang barubal yung yeah, yeah. the kind of language that you will see online. And also how witty. We're nearing the end of this podcast and what we're understanding now, what we saw now from Danny and from Jonathan's uh, work is that, yeah, troll work, it's not as simple as it sounds. It can be complicated. But at the end of the day, everyone else can become a troll as well. So I guess we're heading to the next tier, which is the influencers. Because you could be a troll. You could create all of these clever memes. But now when it comes to reach, how far and how much people can you actually reach with this kind of campaign, with this kind of propaganda? In our next episode, as we step up the tier of this network of disinformation, we talk to someone else. We talk to an influencer. So influencers are micro-celebrities on social media with thousands of followers, maybe even millions of followers. And increasingly, they're developing formal collaborations with politicians. And they're developing clout. They're using their own popularity to boost the campaigns of politicians. How lucrative is it for them? What are the potential risks for their own reputation and for their own image? So we'll be talking with someone who has vast experience, both managing groups of influencers and being a TikTok influencer himself. So stay tuned to that episode. Again, I'm Kat Ventura, a journalist and an executive producer of Puma Podcast. And I'm Jonathan Ong, disinformation researcher and professor at UMass Amherst and Harvard University. Thank you for listening to Catch Me If You Can.